Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew in chapter number three. Matthew in chapter number three. Look forward to getting into the message here today, right in line with what we've heard, especially in that uh, song by the Notes of Grace trio at Calvary. Matthew in chapter number three. <clears throat> we just um, have begun a new series in Matthew uh, right around. Uh, December and just fit very well to do that at the time where we recognize that Jesus came into the earth and so it fit well there. Our, our series is entitled Jesus is King and I'm sure glad to be under his administration. Um, so nonetheless, our, our theme is uh, Jesus is King. So let's begin our reading here this, this morning rather in Matthew 3. And in our text, we'll begin in verse number 13 and read through the end of the chapter. We'll review a little bit as we get into it so you'd understand the context. Those that are joining us uh, for the first time or, or, or being back. And by the way, we are glad to welcome those watching by live stream right now, too, and thankful that they could tune in uh, by technology. So verse 13 says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan. Unto John, we studied about him last week, how he was there baptizing in the Jordan River. So it says, Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan unto John, notice this, to be baptized of him. Well, I don't know how you thought about that, but notice what John thought about that. Verse 14 says, but John forbade him saying, I have need to be baptized of thee and thou comest to me. It's a, it's a, it's a good statement. He's recognizing something there. Notice verse 15. It's really where we're going to spend most of our time. Verse 15 says, Jesus, and Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer or allow it, suffer it to be so now, for thus it, it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, it says in verse 16, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. So obviously he was baptized by immersion. He went up straightway out of the water and lo, or, or behold, and lo, the heavens were opened, opened unto him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So we have the Father, we have the Son, we have the Holy Spirit. I enjoy the words of J.C. Ryle. I'll mention them now, lest I forget towards the end of the message. Uh, but he said this in the beginning of creation. God said, let us make man in our image. Let us. That's early indication that God is Trinity. Three in one. Let us make man, and here it is, the Trinity once again speaking and saying, let us save man. Let us make man, let us save man. 
And so this morning, I've given the title to the message, The Testimony That Matters Most, really focus on the voice that spoke from heaven. That's what mattered most. Jesus didn't live for man's approval ratings. <laughs> but the testimony that matters most said, I am well pleased. So I want us to consider this this morning. Jesus' first act, his first action, the, we might say it this way, the first thing he did. What, what was the first item on Jesus' agenda? His first act, his first official act. If Jesus is king, he has an administration. If he has an administration, he has an agenda. What was his first act? What we're going to see is that Jesus' first act points to his ultimate mission. Okay? His first act points us to his ultimate mission. So may God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. We're going to get right into this so we can consider it. <clears throat> Jesus' first act points to his ultimate mission. <clears throat> First actions of a new president uh, provide a glimpse of his values and his agenda. First acts, his mission. Um, I didn't take the time to study all the acts of the presidents through the years. I did look up, you know, the inaugural speech of George Washington and some of the first acts. You know, we talk about oftentimes, don't we, the first 100 days, right? The first 100 days, the first 10 days of a new administration is very telling. It's very telling. So obviously uh, we, we just had uh, a president, uh, President Joe Biden give inauguration speech in which he emphasized much about unity. Following the inaugural speech, he signed 17 executive orders that were rather controversial and divisive. I guess in my estimation. Um, so it's interesting. And I'm not here. Uh, please don't misunderstand. This is not a political speech. This is a Bible message. Um, obviously, in my mind throughout the week, I'm getting ready to preach and and anything that as I'm getting ready to preach, most of the things that I deal with in life somehow relate to that message. There's no way that you can get away from that if you're a preacher. Um, it's going to be on your mind. So I, I don't think it coincidental that, you know, our country just made a transition and, and we're considering, and I, would, I could preach this if it were four years ago, and, and the inaugural speech of, of Donald J. Trump as he came into uh, the office and what his first days were. I mean, he had an agenda. He had a plan of action and, and his first 100 days and, and the executive orders that he signed on that day. They gave us an idea about his values. They gave us an idea about what his mission was. I mean, it, it really does. It's very, very telling what their first act is. That's actually all I'm trying to illustrate here this morning. Now, I may make a few extra comments along the way. But my main point is, is that a man's 
if a presidents and administrators, their first, and this would be true if it's a principal of a school or a president of a college or a president of the United States or, or the first, you know, uh, leadership moves of a new husband, for that matter, uh, would indicate what the values are. Uh, Republican Senator Mar Marco Rubio on Friday said of President Biden, he's talking like a centrist, but he's governing like somebody from the far left. Um, signing executive actions and orders in the first days of his office uh, that fulfill items on the wish list of the far left. In uh, Hayworth, uh, the Daily Wire reports as one of President Biden's many day one promises he signed. And I, I mean, we could talk about a bunch of them. I, uh, the Keystone Pipeline, immigration, COVID. I mean, all these things. I mean, uh, hey, it, it, is the, it is the responsibility of a president to address matters that concern all of us. It is indeed. Uh, but I believe one as believers that ought to be concerning to us is, is simply this. In fact, not just even as believers, it's just as people that care about life. Um, would be one entitled preventing and combating discrimination on the basis of gender identity and social orientation. Mr. Hayworth went on to say, on the surface, any anti-discrimination language sounds pretty agreeable. I mean, he says, after all, who's in favor of discrimination? Well, nobody ought to be in favor of discrimination, right? But he says, like so many demands of the transgender movement, however, such progress comes at a significant cost. The first paragraph of this order that President uh, Biden signed says this, children should be able to learn without worrying about whether they will be denied access to the restroom, the locker room, or school sports. So what does that mean? That means this, that children, as defined by the federal government, anybody under the age of 18, have the right to decide which, which restroom they go to or which locker room they go to. Now you say, well, what, what's, what's so uh, frightening about that? Well, if a, if a girl who biologically was born a girl thinks she's a boy, then she can go to the boy's restroom or the boy's locker room. On the converse of that, if a boy who was born boy, male, gender, thinks he's a girl, then he can go into the girl's restroom or locker room. I'm telling you, there'll be problems with that. Some young 16-year-old is liable to take advantage of that. Okay, I guess enough of that. Um, again, my point is, is not to get off on that, but my point is this. The first acts, the first orders, the first statements, the first things you sign... And there's a long line of them still yet to come that have to do with abortion, that have to do with other, uh, other items. I mean, but your first acts, they really give an indication about what is to come for the next four years. You can place your hand on the family Bible that's been in your family since 1800s and yet deny everything that's in that Bible. 
You can have Amazing Grace sang by an Oklahoman. And yet violate everything that's against God's grace. You can proclaim unity and you can proclaim, and, and please, I hope this is coming across right. I sure intended for it too, Brother Sam. I promise I did. You can proclaim justice for all and yet deny the justice of the one in the womb. A basic right is a right to life. The right to life is a civil right. And thus to take the life of the unborn is a civil wrong. The first acts are very telling. What were, if Jesus is king, and by the way, I've hit this nearly every week because it's, it's helpful and encouraging for us to know this. He was not born to be king. The Bible says he was born king. Born king. So he is currently king. King, I am an American. I am thankful to be an American. I was born in America. I am thankful for those that even who are not born in America who legally immigrate to this country and can become a citizen of this great land. Thanks be unto God for that. But my first allegiance is not to the United States of America. My first allegiance is to the God of heaven who made me and put me on this earth and paid his blood for me. I am first and foremost of all a Christian. And there are no terms of length of service on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, of his administration. There is no end. So it begs then the question, since there's no term limit on his administration, then what was the first item on his agenda? If the first item on an agenda of a president reveals his values, and his mission, then what was the first item on Jesus' list? Was it to march on Rome? He very well could have marched against the emperor, marched against the atrocities of the Roman Empire, the violence and, and the immorality of Rome. He could have marched on Rome and been right about it. He could have stormed into the temple and turned over a few tables. He will. He did. It just wasn't his first item on his agenda. He could have healed the blind. He could have healed the lame. He could have healed the deaf. He could have healed. He could have rose the dead back to life again. He could have raised them back to life again, to use better English. He could have done that. He did. Do all of the above. But that wasn't his first item. He could have preached, I mean, a powerful message against the immorality, the adultery, the fornication of their day and time, the homosexuality of their day and time. He could have preached, I mean, a fiery message on hell and on the judgment to come. But that wasn't his first act in his administration. His very first public act in ministry. He said, well, what, what about, I mean, when he was 12 years old and he was in the temple and talking with all the elite religious individuals of that day and time and he was asking them questions and answering questions as a 12-year-old among the scholars of the day. He said, was that his first act? Well, I mean, that's still in his childhood and, and really more in his years of obscurity. He's not on the scene as a, as a leader. I'm telling you at this point in time, when he's baptized by John, they had not heard the name Jesus of Nazareth. 
He was nowhere on anybody's radar. He wasn't in anybody's up and coming magazines in terms of the religious leaders of, of Jerusalem of that day. The scholars in, in Jerusalem did not know who he was, did not know this new rabbi named Jesus. They did not know him. He was in obscurity. He was in Nazareth of Galilee of all places, a despised place. In so much that they even said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Oh, yeah. It might be surprising to seriously consider that his very first act was to be baptized. By a Baptist preacher. Hey. If you want to know about cars, go to a mechanic. If you want to know about electricity, go to an electrician. If you want to know about being a doctor or about medical health, go to a doctor. If you want to know about baptism, go to a Baptist. Amen. Anyways, that wasn't anywhere in my nose, but it found its way in, so... Why was he baptized? And, and, and if, I, I, I think you're, you're grabbing hold of this, if his first act declares something about his values and something about his life mission, then what did Jesus' baptism say about what he values and what he came to do? Let's consider that. Because it has everything to do with why that Notes of Grace trio just sang what they sang. And it has everything to do with why we gather every single Sunday. And it has everything to do with why we're going to spend all of eternity. If you're saved today, you'll spend all of eternity in heaven. It has everything to do. What he did then was pointing forward. Watch this. Pointing forward forever. John was baptizing in the Jordan River. People were coming to be baptized. Why were they being baptized? Just because they wanted to do something kind of religious? No. It was not just a ceremony. It was not a sacrament. It did not give them God's grace. It did not, I want to be very clear here, it did not, wash away their sin. Water. We're going to have a baptistry here. We're going to have some children baptized uh, tonight who have trusted Jesus as their Savior and they are letting us know that they have identified and want to identify now physically with His death, burial, and resurrection. And, and so they will be baptized in, in water, not sprinkled, not poured, but immersed because that's what the word means. And so, but the waters of baptism there, they do not wash away your sins. You say, well, I was baptized as an infant. I'm saying to you, you are, uh, as a baby, I, you are yet in your sin if that's what you're counting on for heaven. 
That was the idea behind infant baptism, by the way. That was, if we baptize babies, they automatically get to go to heaven. Listen, my friend, a, a person must understand that they are sinner. They must understand that there's none righteous, no, not one, that if we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, they must understand that the wages of sin is death, but thank God we can give them the good news. The good news is this, that, that God commended his love toward us and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us and that he would save anybody. It says that, thou, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In fact, we can see very clearly, despite what Church of Christ doctrine teaches and other Christian doctrine teaches, that, that baptism is a part of regeneration. We can see the fallacy of that based even on what John the Baptist said. He said, bring forth fruit, bring forth works, meet for repentance. In other words, before I baptize you, you need to be saved. You need to be repentant. And so repentance is separate from baptism. It's right there. He said, well, what about Peter on the day of Pentecost when he stood? Repent and be baptized, every one of you. That he did preach. But he was not saying their baptism was part of their salvation. He's saying you got to get right with God. Turn to God. Place faith in what he did for you and then be baptized. Because in chapter 3, when he had opportunity to preach part 2 of that message in the series, he said, repent. No reference to baptism. He say, well, baptism is just kind of included in the idea of repentance. Not according to the Baptist. Not, I'm talking about John the Baptist. Not according to Paul. Not according to Peter. Not according to Jesus. Yeah. Repent and then be baptized. Does everybody see that? So think about who came to John. Well, sinners came. And John preached and he told them they needed to get right with God. By the way, this was quite a national revival that was breaking out at its grassroots level. I mean, harlots were getting saved. Drunkards were getting saved. Violent people were getting saved. Watch this. Roman soldiers were repenting. How do you know that? Well, in a similar context, you know, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic gospels, meaning that they, they're written and, and overlap quite a bit. Well, Luke said that there were Roman soldiers there who heard John's message about repentance and said this, what should we do? He said, stop doing violence and be content with your wages. Well, that'll help every soldier. Stop, stop taking advantage of your power and, and brutally treating people. Do people right. And publicans got saved. I mean, the IRS got saved. And they said, what shall we do? I'm telling you, friend, they were under conviction. You know what's missing in a lot of churches today? Conviction. You know why conviction's missing? Because people aren't preaching the Bible anymore. The Bible will show you where you're wrong. And I don't like it when it does, but I need it, friend, and so do you. I want to know where I'm wrong so I can be right with God. And the, the publican said, what do we need to do? He said, don't take any more than what's coming to you. Because what they would do is they would give their part to Rome and they'd skim off the top what they wanted for themselves. He said this, you stop being dishonest and you get right with God. And many of them got right with God and as a result of that, then they were baptized. 
But then the Pharisees came and the Sadducees came. And John didn't give them quite the same greeting that he gave others. We saw it last week. I mean, these were the religious people of the day. They dressed the right part. They could quote numerous passages of scripture. They did all kinds of ceremony and ritual, even that's in the Old Testament. They fasted and, and they went without food. I mean, that alone would tell you they, they mean business. None of us want to go without food. I guarantee it, once I get close to noon, the amen start dropping off. But here they were, I mean, they fasted and there were things they did not do and things that they did religiously. And John said, you're a generation of vipers. Who's called you to come to this meeting? Your daddy was a snake and you're a snake. You're deadly, you're, you're deceiving the people. You're a blind, Jesus would say. You're a blind leaders of the blind. You're a whited sepulcher, Jesus would say. Hypocrites. I think God feels about hypocrites. He's against hypocrites. He's against hypocritical believers. He's against hypocritical people because people need truth in this day and time. John did not find them worthy of his baptism because they had not come to repentance. They had religion, but they didn't have repentance. I want to ask you today, do you have religion or do you have repentance? They were not worthy of his baptism, but when Jesus came, John said, my baptism is not worthy of you. You're coming for me to baptize you? Wait a minute, Jesus. Let's turn this around and get it right. I, as a sinner, having repented, need to be baptized of you given your authority and who you are. You say, well, who are we talking about here? We're talking about his cousin, Jesus. Uh, hang on. His cousin, Jesus, who was six months younger physically and yet eternally older. He existed before his cousin who had come into the world six months earlier than he had. In John chapter one, all four gospels tell us of Jesus, evidently it's important, tell us of his baptism. And when John, in John chapter one, when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. That has historical context. That has Old Testament context. You see that, that Passover lamb's blood was shed so that the people of God would not die that night as they came out of Egypt. The firstborn would not die. And, and then the, the lamb and the goats and the blood that had been shed through all the years of the Old Testament. In fact, even that very morning, even when John out there in that wilderness said, behold the lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Blood had been shed at the temple. That very day. But John is saying, when he dies, there'll be no more need for animal blood because his blood washes away our sins. So it's, it's logical then that John would ask, why are you wanting to be baptized of me? Because John knew that Jesus had no sin. Did you catch that? I said, John knew and the Bible makes abundantly clear that Jesus had zero sin. No rebellion, 
no disobedience, no lying, no cheating. As he came through school with other kids, he never looked on their papers. Never yelled at his brothers. Never got upset with his sisters. Can you imagine that? You must have some different nature if you don't get upset at your sisters. He never got angry with them. He never mouthed off to his mom or to his dad. He, he never violated the Sabbath. He never broke anything of God's commandments. I'm telling you, friend, he never sinned. So, if he never sinned, he didn't need to repent. If he didn't need to repent, he didn't need John's baptism in that sense. Are you following the logic here? So why then... It begs the question, why would Jesus be baptized by John? Jesus tells us in verse 15, suffer it for now. Allow for this, John. What did he say? Did he get baptized just because he said, you know, I just really want the experience that all these other Israelites are having here in the Jordan River with you baptized. I just love to be a part of this religious thing that's going on. No, it wasn't that. It wasn't just to give us an example to follow his example, though it does. I wouldn't take away from that. We are to be baptized because he gave us the example of being baptized. But I submit to you today that his baptism was different than my baptism and different than your baptism. Same modes, really in many ways, same, same purpose and, and, and mission but we're coming at it from two different angles. To fulfill all righteousness, he says. Does that mean that this was part of the law and Jesus had to do this to fulfill the law? I submit to you, no. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is making his first public act of ministry based on what was truly valuable to him and based on what his life mission was. Okay, so maybe that'd be the easiest way to answer this. Why was Jesus baptized? Let's ask this. What, was, what did Jesus value? Or maybe I could actually say it this way. Who does Jesus value and what was his mission? Well, we can let him answer that question. He said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So what is valuable to Jesus? Jesus gave many, many parables that if a woman had 10 coins and she lost one, she'd search the whole house till she found that one. Come on, ladies, you know that's true. And then he said this, if a man had two sons and one of them went away, he'd want that one son to come back. And he used the analogy of the sheep. And if a man had 100 sheep, and yes, one of them, I mean, just one of them went astray, then he'd seek until he found that one lost sheep. I'm saying to you this morning, that you and I and me, that we are valuable to the Son of God. And the reason Jesus was baptized by John is he was identifying with sinners and yet without sin. Honestly, Jesus could have said, excuse me, John, would you get a seat? I'm going to preach this repentance message. Had every right to. He could have preached to John the Baptist himself why he needed to get some things right with God. 
He could have been up there preaching, but I tell you what he did. He went down into the same waters where a harlot had been. He went down into the same waters, perhaps, I'm speculating right here, but maybe he went down into the same waters where a person who had murdered another person got things right with God and wanted a new life and needed a new life. And he went down in the same waters that even somebody that had committed murder went down into. He identified with thieves and he identified with liars and he identified with adulterers and he identified with fornicators and he identified maybe even with some that were from a homosexual background. He identified with us. All of us. He's setting the agenda. He says, John, I, I'm going to be baptized of you to fulfill all righteousness. I know other people have come here because they've been unrighteous with God. They repented and now they're being baptized and they've got a new life. I'm coming to fulfill all righteousness because all men are without righteousness and they need righteousness. And the only way for them to have righteousness is for me to be baptized. But it's not my water baptism that will save them. That is only a picture that is pointing forward to another baptism that he described in Luke chapter 12 and verse number 50 when he said to his disciples, I have a baptism. And he said to all, I have a baptism to be baptized of that you know not of. You say, wait a minute. I'm confused. Anybody ever sitting in church and get confused? I told the men in the preaching class that I teach at school that I sometimes I gauge where everybody is. As I watch, I watch to see if, number one, if you're awake. That's number one. Number two, if your eyes are looking this way. Number three, to see if you got a look on your face kind of like this. If you got a look like this and I'm thinking, okay, something's not clear. Let's work at it again. So some of you may say, well, why does he repeat things when he's preaching? It's because there's one that didn't get it. <laughs> Blame them. <laughs> you ever sitting there and thinking, wait a minute, he's got a baptism to be baptized of. I thought he'd already been baptized three years ago by John. Remember that? Yeah. What was he talking about? Well, what does baptism picture? Baptism pictures... Death, burial, under the water for a short period of time. <laughs> it's a symbol. Death, burial, resurrection. So he's saying, I was baptized three years ago because really that baptism was looking forward to when I would be baptized by death on the cross, burial for three days, three nights in the grave, and then come forth from the grave alive and able to save any sinner. And thus, Jesus was baptized day one in his administration to identify with all of us as sinners and yet without sin because eventually on the cross, he will identify with sinners. One on his right hand, and one on his left, thieves, insurrectionists, thieves, and even took the place of a man that was supposed to be crucified that day named Barabbas. Amen. 
who had committed murder. He was numbered with the transgressors. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He identified with us on the cross and yet he knew no sin. The first act in his administration declares this. I came to identify with sinners, though I have no sin, that I might save sinners. That baptism, sometimes that we read over, and John the Baptist baptized him, he would say, hmm, Jesus was baptized. That's unique. It has great significance. Just like the first executive order signed by a president says there's more to come. That set the agenda for the next three years to the point where he was crucified, buried, and rose again. And it continues to declare that same agenda. I'm telling you, he was on a mission. And he was on a mission to save you. His baptism here and his baptism here both say, I'm willing to identify with you even though you've sinned against God, broken his commandments. I love you. None of us deserve that. If he did that for you, and he did, and that's all it takes for you to be born again is to trust what he did. Why wouldn't you trust him today? He loves you. You say, oh, but man, preacher, you have no idea. You don't know how sinful I've been. Did you ever kill anybody? Don't confess that out loud. <laughs> he saved a man named Saul who killed a bunch of Christians. Totally changed his life. If he, if he would save a murderer like that, he'd save you. He, he saved a woman who lived with four men and the man that she was living with right then wasn't her husband. If, if he would save her, he'd save you. If he saved a thief who couldn't do one thing for him, there was no offering he could give. He could not be baptized. He had no chance to come off that cross and be baptized. So I submit to you, baptism is not the way to salvation. You're saved by grace through faith. In other words, you don't deserve it. You never could in a million years. But he'll save you if you trust him. He identified with us as sinners. Let, let, let me give this one, one more application. If he came to identify with us as sinners, shouldn't we be willing to identify with him? Yes. He came to identify with us as sinners so that we might be able to identify with him. How do I identify with him? Well, first of all, the first act following your faith in Jesus ought to be, if you have works, meet for repentance, evidencing that you have indeed been born again, then your very first act ought to be this. 
water baptism. That is indeed and true, as we often say, the first step of obedience. It truly is following our Savior. That ought to be, you ought to be willing to identify with Him. I'm embarrassed to get in front of people and I'm scared of water. We'll, we will keep you safe. Um, let's see. We haven't lost one. You'll be glad to know. We have not lost one. Now, I've only been here, you know, 17 years of the history, but to my knowledge, we have not lost one. Don't let your fear of man keep you from being baptized. You say, well, what, what if I made a profession, I got baptized, and then I really understood that I was lost and I, and I trusted Jesus as my Savior, but I haven't been baptized since then. You need to be baptized because it's believer's baptism. You just got wet the first time. Okay. Identify with him by baptism. But then be willing to identify with him in an ungodly culture. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I have no reason to be ashamed of Jesus. Uh, only in my flesh have I been. I'm like Peter at times. I've denied him. I remember being a teenager and carrying, beginning to carry my Bible to school. And, and uh, which, by the way, if we have students here from, in public schools, you can take your Bible to school. Now, I'm not recommending taking the big family Bible, but you can take your Bible to school. But I didn't, I didn't start carrying just my normal Bible reading Bible. I started carrying a little Gideon's New Testament hidden in my bag. And during a break in ag class, I remember distinctly opening up my bag enough to where I could read my Bible. You know why? Because I was ashamed to be identified with him. But finally, I realized, you know, why am I ashamed of being identified with him when people live for all kinds of ungodly things? Let me live for him. And so I began to carry my Bible and I wouldn't make a big parade of it. I would just carry it on top of my other books because it didn't, it didn't deserve to be under other books. I'd carry it on the top and I would read. And you know what would happen is other teenagers sometimes that were in trouble began to ask questions. Hey, what is that? Oh, it's a Bible. Well, what do you believe about this? Man, it opened up all kinds of doors. Don't be ashamed to identify with him at work, in the, in the break room, or, or in, the, in the car when you're driving down the road with other friends. Don't be ashamed of him. He was willing to be identified with you. Amen. The first act of Jesus' public ministry made very clear what his mission would be. He came to save you. Let's stand together here today. <laughs> Allow me to ask a few questions to help us just with applying this message and responding properly in a time that we call an invitation. I know the members of Southwest are very accustomed to this, but folks, let's not just get accustomed to it, right? Those of you that are already saved and members of this church, baptized, members of this church, you already know. I, I know what I need to do. If you've been in any way not identifying with him, you ought to be willing to. And even just to thank him for what he did to save you. How many of you today with, I'm just going to ask for heads bowed and eyes closed. Just give a little bit of privacy to the moment here and to ask. How many of you could raise your hand and say, I know I've been saved. I've been born again because I repented of my sin and I trusted Jesus as my Savior. Would you raise your hand high just so that I could see it? Praise the Lord. What a testimony today. Honestly, thank you. May put your hands down. But what a testimony to God's willingness to identify with all of us as sinners so as to save us. Praise be to his name. Now, I wonder if there's someone here that couldn't raise your hand just then. You'd say, preacher, if I died right now, I don't know that for sure, but I am concerned about it. Would you raise your hand if that's you? I don't know for sure. 
I'm concerned. I'm looking around up in the balcony a little bit and down on the ground floor. Anybody here say, I, I don't know for sure, preacher. Yes, I see your hand. God bless you, ma'am. I appreciate your honesty today. I talked about not being ashamed or, or fear of man and all those things. But when you're in a crowd and you can feel overwhelmed, I, I sincerely appreciate that you raised your hand. Anybody else here? Just a minute. We're going to have the invitation. And then what I'm going to do, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And if you need to pray with someone, you raise your hand saying, I need salvation. Find the closest aisle and just come down to the front. We're praying for you. We're here for you. We want to encourage you in that. Would you come? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, as we <clears throat> take the steps to prepare for this invitation, we acknowledge as best we know how humanly speaking, to recognize that we are extending that invitation on your behalf because it's really you inviting. And so I just pray now, God, that you'd help each one to respond, help uh, those that raise their hand needing salvation. Maybe somebody overlooked, but you didn't, and you value them, and you came to seek and save them. I pray you'd help them to respond today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're singing page 262.